Hey, you know what you need is some support, girlfriend. And we got you covered. From the north and central Wisconsin, so I'm pretty far up there, pretty close to the Canadian border. I'm Melissa Marie, single mom. So you know the song, Another One Bites the Dust from Queen? (laughs) Don't tell me that's your dating life. Entrepreneur, breast cancer survivor, and making it happen. To the south. Look, I'm from Texas. If it's one thing we know how to do, it is endure sweat in unspeakable places, okay? I'm Ashley Allen, single mom, career woman, and side hustling pro. You guys know me. I love inappropriate humor. <laughs> like, I love it. Like, I love it. Oh, like, it's part of who I am. Working my way to the top. If ever you needed someone to help you and have your back. Well then, girlfriend, we got you. Welcome back to Girlfriend We Got You. I am your host, Melissa Marie, and today's a very special day uh, because we have a guest speaker. Along with me is my co-host, Ashley Allen. Hey! And today, it's about making an impact with Barb Klenner. Hey, Barb. Hi, everyone. (laughs) So I wanted to have Barb on today because... She is definitely, I like to call her my queen. Like she is the queen of my circle of friends. I have a very small circle of friends and the impact that I see Barb do within our community, within her family, even as a friend is just amazing. And honestly, girl, I don't know how you do it, but I will be honest. I am so appreciative of it. Well, and I'm appreciative of everyone that supports me because it it kind of takes a village, as they say. Um, And thank you. I am totally flattered, actually. Yeah. I mean, so I want to just do a little background of how you and I became friends. Um, I, and I don't know if you remember, Barb, but I walked into this cute little, like, it's, it's kind of like this coffee shop slash like wine shop. It's called Vino Latte here in Wassa. And Barb was out there. She was just hustling it, just this cute thing with all this beautiful bling everywhere. And if you know me, you know that I love like bling. And um, I bought some pieces from her and our friendship just kind of started from there. It did. Jewelry, wine, coffee, what could be bad? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So then Barb became like, you know, one of my clients. And then I really started to really get to know Barb and um, and all the charity work that she has done um, and the things that she has done within the community. She is also a very unique person in the fact that she does those ultra marathons. So if you're a marathon runner, which um, Ashley's eyes just got super big because Ashley is like (laughs) former, way former, just a regular marathon runner, former. (laughs) (laughs) Once a runner, always a runner. (laughs) Right? Um, (laughs) So um, yeah, where she has, she, 
ultra marathon is where you run a hundred miles and it's very impressive. Um, but along with that, you know, when things got really crazy with me, um, she was right there with me along my side with every single appointment that I had going with my cancer. So just the energy that she put into our friendship that she's put into the community, she puts into her running and then her family, you guys, oh my gosh, like if I could have a picture of the ultimate American family, the picture is Barb Klenner's family. Her and Mark, her husband, Mark, have these amazing children. One of them, her daughter, um, which is theirs biologically. And then they have three other children, which they have adopted. So, um, Barb, let's just start with your family. Let's just start, like, how did you get into, like, wanting to do this adoption? Because it started with Zach. Right. Um, yes, actually, my family is my proudest accomplishment. Um, but yes, it did start with our son, Zach. Our daughter, Emily, um, was about six when we decided to add to our family in, by adopting. And so at that time, um, the adoption programs were much more open. I mean, Zach is 27 now. Um, and when he we went to South Korea, um, and brought him home, he was four months old. So um, the adoption programs, as I mentioned, were much more open then. You had a choice of countries. We were much younger. Um, countries restrict um, a lot of a lot of different parameters um, for parents. So by age, some even by weight, by how long you've been married, if you've been married before. So we were much younger. We pretty much had a choice of countries. And um, South Korea was a very speedy expedient program and of course when you get that idea in your head you want to add to your family quickly and so um, we went to South Korea and brought Zach home when he was four months old so um, I I have that I always tell everyone that when you bring that baby home you forget where they were from Uh, you forget if you brought him home from the hospital if you brought him home from South Korea if you brought him home from next door what whatever so Zach became part of our family 26 years ago. Wow. Should I keep going? Yeah, let's, let's yes. hear about the other you. ones. <laughs> yes, okay. I want to hear about the rest. Yes. So when Zach was um, going to be a junior in high school, I should preface it by saying that I come up from a family of 10 kids. I'm the oldest of 10. And so boy, was our house quiet with just one. And then I was kind of forecasting the future and looking and thinking, oh my gosh, in a year or two, our house will be empty. And I I was just not ready for that. And my husband was totally on board with that. I guess he wasn't ready for it either. Or maybe I talked him into that. But (laughs) um, right at the time we started thinking of all the options of maybe fostering or adopting or you know, doing some type of community program with children, um, the earthquake quake hit Haiti. And I could barely watch what was going on on TV, just out of the side of my eye. And it, I was so distressed by all of that, thinking that children that had a life with their family were all of a sudden abandoned and orphaned. So I called Haiti 
and found a contact person and asked what the opportunities were or the options were thinking that if we could step in and provide a child with a family for the rest of their life, like they had had, that would be a great opportunity. Well, at that time, Haiti was in such chaos that it just wasn't an option. They said it would be years before they could figure out the disposition of those children. If they had other relatives, you know, what would actually happen. And so um, once you have that in your head, or once I had that in my head, anyway, <laughs> the option of adopting, you know, it's like, I'm kind of got a tiger by the tail. I can't let loose. Um And so I started looking at other programs. By then, obviously, we were older parents. And so that really limited the countries that would accept us as as parents for their children. Um, But knowing that there certainly were countries that we were eligible for, I started looking and found that really Ethiopia on most days is just um, in as dire straits as Haiti with their orphan situation and their poverty levels. So there were three, there are 3 million orphans in Ethiopia. So my heart immediately went in that direction. And um, we started to apply for Ethiopian adoption, really not knowing, you know, what the future would bring, but knowing that we were certainly open to bringing another child home. So how did you end up choosing from those 3 million, you know, kids that need a home, like, how did you and Mark choose? Like, how did that happen? Every country is different, of course. And with South Korea, we just um, had applied and we were assigned a baby. There was a choice. And, And that was great. That's the way we wanted it. Um, no preferences. And it was very much the same with Ethiopia, feeling that it was some type of divine intervention of who our family should be. Um, But of course, because there are so many orphans, and they're working diligently to find homes for them through the orphanages, um, the minute we applied, they sent us um, pictures of maybe six or seven groups of sibling groups, not just single children, but older children that were aging out of the orphanage. So they don't keep them there, obviously, until they're adults. Um, At a particular age, then they're relinquished back to the street or, you know, whatever. Wow. So, of course, they sent us pictures of seven sibling groups that they were called aging out of the orphanage, which meant that they had not much longer before they couldn't stay there anymore. Well, that took another little bit of um, change in direction thinking, okay, we won't add one. We maybe would add two or more to our family. Could we do that? So, you know, of course we considered that and thought, well, We certainly can. And knowing that these children would be an ethnic minority, um, spoke to some social workers, some people uh, that were more in the know than we were. And they said in those situations where they're coming into a family that was not of the same race, it is extremely supportive and great for their psyche to have someone that they relate to, someone that 
can understand their situation and someone that they can really um, connect with on that race level. So we, yeah. of course, we were open, open to a sibling group then. Oh, wow. Wow. So tell us about the day that you guys actually like picked the kids up and tell um, us a little bit about them. Sure. Um, well, we had gotten the, the, you know, we had chosen Melissa and Berkey are their names. And um, we had actually chosen them from the group, sibling groups. Um, it They just looked like they fit our family and all the other sibling groups actually had interested families too. So um, we chose Melissa and Berkey, but we really say that we didn't choose them. Um, somehow it was just meant to be. Um, we first had to go, it was two trips to Africa. So we first had to meet them um, the first trip and then go back for a second trip to bring them home. So it is a lot of anxious waiting because of the time difference between Ethiopia and where we are in central Wisconsin. Um, everything happened while we were asleep and we would wake up to news. But every morning you wake up with, you know, hope and a little bit of a pit in your stomach and then nothing happens. The government is a very slow process. And then working between two governments was, you know, pretty it, it took a lot of toll on as far as time and being able to have things happen quickly, as quickly as we wanted. Once you make that decision, you want your babies home. And so yeah. we went the first time and our flights were delayed. Um, it, so that was a little bit difficult, not being able to speak any of the language. And we, we finally got to the orphanage late um, the kids had been waiting. Of course, they knew when they were coming and they were pretty distraught um, thinking that perhaps we weren't coming because I guess they had seen that happen, you know, to other children. But when we arrived, I remember walking in the orphanage and Molesse was first. He was 12 at the time and his sister Brookenish was eight. Um, they came flying down the stairs and just launched themselves into our arms. And truly, it just felt like, wow. Are, those are our kids. You know, it didn't seem any different than you walking in the door of your home and kids, kids running down the stairs and jumping in your arms. It kind of felt like the exact same thing. Right. Wow. I, I'm getting, I'm getting emotional over here. <laughs> I know. I just love this story. I can hear it over and over and over. And I have heard it like a couple times and I love it. Oh my God. I'm just like, that's so amazing. Oh my God. That's so amazing. So you know, eight, and, um, oh, go ahead, please. I was just going to, cause I want my listeners to really understand. So at eight and 12 in Ethiopia, can you describe the conditions that the kids were living in? You know, like, uh, cause mm-hmm. Molesse was older and he, wasn't he like at that verge of not being adopted? Like, wasn't he like close yes. to like at that cusp of, like, this is yeah. it, or, you know, you're yeah. on the streets. Yes. When they sent us those pictures, they were sibling groups that were, as I mentioned, aging out. But they asked us to act expediently and make a decision because um, it was literally, you know, weeks before they would be out on the streets. Now, you know, my son, Molesse, he has 
this most amazing personality. Everyone I love him. adores him. I and know. I think that the same was true in Ethiopia. Um, they call them nannies, they're caretakers. And actually he should have been gone. Um, but the nannies kind of hid him within the child group within Ethiopia. So when they would have inspections of the orphanage, he would have to run out in the field and hide. Um, or, um, you know, when anyone came that would observe the children, they had to hide him because he really wasn't even supposed to be there as long as he was. Oh my God. I know. I feel like that's something you see on a movie. I know. You know, the whole story is like that. Oh my goodness. I know. Right. Um, the, it, it's so different than bringing home a baby of another culture. Of course, you have, you know, visually the cultural differences, but our son, Zach, being Korean, um, only grew up knowing English and only, no, only knowing America and has really no interest in going back to South Korea or finding it a birth parent at all. He has no interest. Um, and our other two kids, of course, have had a life. Um, in their culture and in a different language. Um, and so they are very interested in going back. And we've been trying for a while, but, you know, Ethiopia is having a civil war, so it's just not safe to go back at this time. Yeah. But prior to coming here, they had never worn shoes. You know, the orphanage provided that, but in their life, in their home, um, well, Melissa didn't have a home. He was living on the street. And then um, they didn't have shoes. And in the orphanage, they have one big pile of clothes. And every morning, they all just go grab, you know, whatever's available and might or might not fit. And they just kind of put that on. So they didn't, they never really owned anything before coming here. They did warn us of interesting things, or they cautioned us um, of things you wouldn't necessarily think about because they had never seen a store. They had never had money. They never purchased anything. So they said, do not take your children to a store for a long time until they understand the concept because parents had done that and have, you know, 12, 13, 15 year olds having temper tantrums in the middle of a store on a on the floor, kicking and screaming because they don't understand what this is and they don't understand you can't just take things that they're not just to take. Yeah. Wow. The culture is just so, I mean, it's, it is honestly something you would see in the movie, honestly. Um, when I just, I'm just thinking and processing it all, Barb. Um, how was it like, because they were older for them adapting the communication with you guys? Because I mean, the communication had to be really rough at first. It, it was, um, although in the beginning it was simple because, you know, we just laughed and giggled and they followed us around and we did a lot of pointing and, you know, it was, it was almost easier then. Um, because to get them acclimated to us and being home, 
we didn't really have to teach them anything. We just had to be around each other and feed them and, you know, give them a bath at night and put them to bed and snuggle. Um, so there wasn't the need for that much communication. But of course, you know, they started school right away. It's total immersion. And then they start learning another language. And um, that was difficult. Birkenesh knew two other languages, um, two different dialects, and Molesse, of course, knew one other, but they had never written or read in their native language, and there's no point of reference. So they they were really like taking a little baby and putting them in grade school. And Molesse said when he went into school, first of all, he was the only Black child in his class. And he said the teacher had put an apple at his desk and he didn't know what it was. And he said, everyone was staring at me and there's this apple and they're kind of pointing to it, but I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what it was. And he said, I was so scared. And how old was he at this time? He was 12. Yeah. Which we found out later. He was not 12. He was older. He was more he was closer to 14, which, you know, it was obvious as he was here for a while and started to develop that he looked like a man among boys, that it was not age appropriate. And, and apparently um, countries often do that, um, especially with, you know, young black men, they're not as adoptable as, you know, maybe a, a cute little tiny girl. Um, and so they make the age more appealing. And they don't know their ages anyway. They don't have birth dates. They don't Mm -hmm. keep track of that. So, you know, looking at a young boy, you could easily say, oh, he was 12, but he developed quickly and pretty soon. Like I said, he looked like a man among boys. And we did have bone studies done and he was about two years older than we initially thought. So I I have a question. Um, How was it for you and your husband, um, with your children to work on these things with the obstacles that you had, the the lack of education, the cultural differences, blending the family, integrating them, you know, into your everyday lives on a routine. Um, how did y'all face those obstacles day in and day out? And also how did it, did it take you quite a while? Um, we felt that instant, connection um you know it felt instantly like they were they were ours and as we always tell the kids the second we saw their picture we thought oh my gosh those are Ethiopian cleaners you know and I said we had to get you home um but it it was looking back it was much more of a struggle when I reflect on it than I think I realized at the time Um, because you just get through it minute by minute, day by day. Um, You know, like I said, they feel like your children from the very minute you bring them home. So it's very difficult to see them struggle. Um, And besides the struggle of language and just knowing um, what's going on in the United States or, you know, in your city, in your school, um, it's just so confusing for them all around, you know, it's just, it's, it's hard to explain. Um, even simple words. I mean, they had never seen an airplane. We pull them on an airplane and they didn't even know what one looked like from the outside or what one looked like in the sky. 
Um, and molest say when he was starting to learn the language, they did, they followed suit to what we had been told at about nine months, they will lose their native language, but they won't know English and they will be in no man's land. And we, we found that was true. And that was the most difficult part at about nine months when they didn't know either language and they were almost in a bubble that was it's painful to see your kids go mm-hmm. through any struggle. Um, but there, there were cute stories too, because we have the best stories with the last two kids we have, because learning the language, they would kind of make things up or guess at what it should be. And it's so funny. Uh, we, I've written down just pages and pages of cute phrases. Like once Molesse was trying to tell us about a barn and he didn't, couldn't think of the word barn or he didn't know it. So he's like, what is that word, mama? What is that? And he he would be like, oh, you know, and he goes, that cow making, that cow poop making house. (laughs) So he would put together (laughs) phrases that were adorable. I said, a barn? Yes, yes, a barn. That is so funny. That was really fun. It it got to be really fun. And then we would laugh and laugh. Yeah, humor through all of it, really. Yeah, you do. So, you know, I'm I'm really fascinated because I well, Mel shared a picture with me of your family, and your family's beautiful, by the way. Thank you, our rainbow family. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's beautiful. I love it. Um so let me get this straight. You have a heart of gold. You would, you've adopted children. Um, and I have to just say this really quick. And this is nothing to anybody that love that loves a good fresh baby. But I think it is very commendable that you and your husband just didn't care. And y'all just were like, we just want children and we want what's best. And that you took kids that were older. I feel like that's a big deal. Um, and that's a huge challenge, right? Because, you know, they already have this foundation, even as unstable as it was. Right. And, and you're taking that on and you just don't care because you, you feel like it's right. And you feel that deep connection. And I just love how open you guys were for that. Uh, because you don't get a lot of people, you don't hear that often, at least I have not. So I think that's very commendable. Um, so you also run hundreds of miles and <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my escape mechanism. I, it certainly is coping. I think <laughs> Yes, you know, what's funny. I just thought about it. She's like this whole blended family thing that I went through. That's nothing. I've run hundreds of miles. Like, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. You know, I know Berkey and Melissa now, and I'll tell you what, I did not know what she was going through all that when she brought the kids home, but if you saw these kids, you would not even know that they went through what they went through. Like, honestly, like, Melissa's in college. Berkey is, like, what, senior now? Oh, she's just so Yes. Boring. You speak to her, like, when you're talking with her, Ash, you, like, seriously, like, you would never know that she did not grow up, or she did not, like, she was not born in the United States. She's so, like, like, 
she's just like talking to anyone else like she's just, oh my gosh she is a teen girl with all of that i love that and she's beautiful oh, god she's gorgeous and she is just being in college, um, I have a friend whose uh, daughter knows him very well. And they went to college around, you know, together. And she kind of told me these like little college stories. And I was just laughing because I know him through, you know, his mom. And I was like, oh, my God, he's such a college kid. And he's, I don't want to know those stories. <laughs> <laughs> Barb's like, don't, don't share that. That's <laughs> a great, he's a great kid. So not only, I mean, Ashley brought up a great point. Like here, this amazing woman and husband, like has all these, like your family is just a beautiful. Um, then you do, you run these ultras on the side. It's kind of like your little like hobby. And aren't you, like, aren't you a registered nurse? Like, aren't you a nurse? I am. Yes, I am a nurse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like, and then you do charity work. I do. she's like one of the chosen ones she's like one of those people in the bible that like you know i mean like there's the Virgin mary and here's barb (laughs) (laughs) that's way too complimentary i think it happens i don't know it falls in my lap and i have to get it done (laughs) i love that though but you do you choose your path though barb and i mean even I mean, when I mean, like, Barb was with me, like, during my time of, like, the hardest point, like, with the cancer, I mean, she really would sit with me, like, in appointments. She helped me understand things because a lot of things I didn't understand. There is one thing she told me, and it actually was life-changing. And, Barb, I don't know if you even realized this with me, but you remember, I might get really emotional. You remember when we were sitting in the lobby and we're about to meet uh, Dr. Anatello and it was, I think it was the first visit. It was the very first visit. And you looked at me and you're like, now remember, um, Steve Jobs, he died because he didn't choose chemo. And I just remember that. And I just remember thinking, you know what? If he tells me I have to do chemo, if he tells me if I have to do radiation, if he tells me I have to do these things, I have to do this to save my life. And those words will stick with me forever. And you being with me through it all. And I mean, listeners, I'm serious. Like every appointment, she was there until my mom came. And then when my mom took over, she was there, and then when my mom left, Barb was right there with me until they would kick us out because there was times we would have so much fun and we'd be giggling in those offices and we would have like the best time. The nurses would actually come in and be like, Is everything okay? What's going on? Or, <laughs> or Dr. Anatello would be like, You guys are having way too much fun in here. And we would. She made the journey you helped me make the journey that I went through like amazing and positive and it could have went a totally different way so along with everything that you have done Barb which you have made such an impact on everyone and I want you to know that because I don't you know you really have um you also did that for me and you didn't have to I know I wanted to like I said it's truly my honor 
Um, and, you know, as far as the whole chemo thing goes, you know, it may not be right for everyone, but I, I knew that you were open to what, you know, you needed to do or to the knowledge. And I just didn't want you to dismiss that because, of course, coming from a clinical background, yeah. you know, I knew, you know, what a great option it is. And I knew you would take it well and you would combine it with what you needed to do from a more holistic standpoint, too. I just knew it was right for you. I just have to add to this really quick. When your last surgery that you had, when you got your new boobs, which I was really excited for. Well, and she was supposed to do a two for one, and that really didn't pan out very well. So she kind of fell short on that. Yeah, I was supposed to do the two for one. Barbara and I were supposed to do it together. (laughs) I was waiting in line. I was all ready to go. Well, I have to say she was really attentive to you and then the people that were concerned and wanted updates because I was part of the group text and she was really on her A-game and you could just tell that you really had the best support in there because Barb knows what she's talking about. She knows what messages to relay and she knows how she just knows. I mean, she's just, I feel like some people have that natural like wit and, um, I don't know, that just automatic compassion that's installed in there. And, and Barb, I feel like you have it. I feel like you have that. And um, Thank you. I hope so. I hope so. I think that's a good thing, right? Yes. Yeah, it's a great thing. It is. It is. I actually want to know, um, can you tell us some about your charity work that you do? Sure. Um, and now, actually, it's it's not quite as much as I had done in the past, but one of my proudest moments was bringing the Susan G. Coleman race for the cure to um, Wausau. So. Oh, um, wow. That that first year. And that was so amazing. The community support and the outpouring. So that was truly one of my proudest moments. And then of course I've worked with various other organizations, the women's community, um, I've worked with the Humane Society. A lot of these are charity, you know, fundraiser kind of events. Um, So a lot of coordination within the community for all those things. But I would say the Coleman Race for the Cure was one of my highlights. That's that's actually a pretty big deal because down here in Houston, that race is huge, like huge. And so I used to get my kids and the the double stroller and all that. And we'd go down there and we would just have a ball. And it was, so I mean, thousands of people. So that's a pretty big deal that you got that in Wausau. Like, that's huge. It was great. It, the first year, um, we raised the most money and had the most participants that we've, you know, had since. So I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, heck yeah, that's a huge deal. I mean, that is, that's huge. Um, I was going to ask you, when you, when you were running, did you, were you ever a part of any um, charities or anything like that? Did you ever run for certain, like, um, because I know down here I did, I was a part of COSI, which is Cherish Our Children International, and it was a racing team I was on, and so we would, like, you know, sponsor it and wear the gear and and raise money and stuff. So I was just curious if you did any of that and what kind of charities you uh, were part of with your running. Yes. Um, 
I've run quite a few marathons for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, and they pair you up for someone to run either in memory or honor of someone. And so um, the first time I ran that, I believe it was the race in San Diego. Um, I ran in honor of a girl who had died at 18 of leukemia and met her family, went to their family reunion, you know, created kind of a second family out of that. So that was amazing. We had a lot of connections. They had 10 kids in their family. We love the Green Bay Packers. You know, there was this whole connection um, with that family. And then since then, I've been paired with just um, other people in memory of that I don't really know, or we haven't established that connection, but I ran in Alaska for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. I've done some other, you know, more regional races that way. And then I did a solo run of 125 miles um, for Traden's Cabin, which is um, kind of a whole children's and parents waiting little cabin area in the Marshville Clinic in Marshfield, their, um, their pediatric oncology center. So it's this welcoming, warming um, atmosphere, and it's kind of this cabin theme. Um, but they were building that, and that really spoke to me. Trayden was a little boy who died um, at 12 months of age um, from, of course, cancer. And I met his parents and decided to donate to Trayden's cabin by running 10 miles for each month he lived. So 120 miles as a solo run. And I took donations and um, the TV um TV covered it, and I was the largest fundraiser for that project. So that was pretty cool. Oh, my God. (laughs) Look, she just said, I'll take that. I'll take your marathon, and I'm going to run it pretty much times five. (laughs) And it's going to be for a good cause. Like, if anybody ever had, like, a permanent spot in heaven, I'm pretty sure... (laughs) Barb's name is on it, and it's God's like, it's all right. She can't do nothing wrong. It's all good. She's good. She's got a lot of escrow up here, so. <laughs> well, I hope so. That's good to have, isn't it? So, yeah. God. So Barb, Building it's time my to be naughty. Let's be, <laughs> so now you have the rest of your life to be naughty. <laughs> all right. Oh, yeah. Good. I get a pass, right, on anything yeah, you get a pass. you're on? Well, she's just going to take a couple of extra free mints at, like, the local restaurant. <laughs> she's like i took three instead of one <laughs> I love it. I that's love so funny it. so barb what does your life look like now with your kids grown all of the work that you've been doing do you still work as a nurse i mean do you how do you spend your days i do still work as a nurse and then i um Still, I have that love of oncology, so I have another job that I do from home. Um, It's a company on the East Coast where I kind of peruse oncology charts for research purposes, and so I do that also. But as the kids have gotten older, um, we had considered adopting again, and it is the most life-altering, wonderful experience ever. But when I reflect back on the energy and And even now, the kind of the stresses of having minority children, we've kind of come to the conclusion that 
and we probably won't go through that again. Um, it, I, we certainly would be open to it, but looking back at really how stressful it is, um, all in a good way, but to go through it again, um, maybe not so much. And now the wonderful thing is our kids are, as they move from home, which that is not the wonderful point, but um, our daughter is in Chicago and we have a beautiful grandson who is seven. Um, and then we have, you know, our son in college, Melissa, um, in Milwaukee. Our son, Zach, is in Madison. Our daughter will be graduating from high school. And now almost every weekend is consumed with family things. And we all travel to the home in Chicago or we all meet in Milwaukee or uh, I am so fortunate. We are so fortunate that. You know, even spring break is coming up and our daughter and, and son-in-law have something planned in another state. And every time they say, mom and dad, come, come with us, come, come stay, let's go on vacation together. Or um, in fall, they have weddings in Bulgaria and Thailand and they asked us to come with them. And then we may go to South Korea too and take that in. So maybe Zach can see his home country. So um, now it's, doing a, more adult things with adult kids, which is pretty fun. Oh, I love that so I much. I hope my kids like me that much whenever they're I'm, adults. Me too. I'm sure this, this was not the case growing up, but it's really, it's wonderful now. I love that. Hey, mom, let's go to Thailand. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is so awesome. Oh my God, that is so great. Barb, I don't know. Your story is just so amazing. Your life is amazing. I mean, I feel like you could write a book. Have you thought about writing a book? <laughs> well, I adore reading and I certainly have thought of writing a book, but gosh, when you sit down and focus on that, you know, I love to read. It would, that would be just the ultimate accomplishment, but we'll see. I guess maybe there's still time. Oh, there's time, Barb. <laughs> I mean, my heart about jumped when she was like, we're considering maybe adopting, but the energy, and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, oh Lord. I just I think that's so, I mean, you know, look, there, if you want something, maybe it's not as um, stressful. Well, I don't know if it's not as stressful, but you know, there are a lot of animals that need fostering. And <laughs> oh, we have animals. <laughs> I, Oh, yeah, oh my do. God, really? Now I have yeah. to know. Of course she does. <laughs> now you have to share about your pet. I'm a huge pet lover. So what kind of well, animals I, do you have? Okay, well, we just have two dogs. We live in the city, so that's the restriction. But throughout, and, and we have often had three. My husband's allergic to cats. We had cats prior to finding out he's severely allergic. And so cats aren't in the picture but believe me growing up we had rats we had hedgehogs we had guinea pigs we had cats we had dogs our kids had every kind of pet you could think of hamsters um oh my, oh gosh. my god we, we run the gamut oh lord <laughs> enough of those rodents though you know who gets oh, to always I'm clean in, those up I'm i love the rodents them too in my house no <laughs> We had our fair share. I've done my fair share of rodents with the kids, and I'm done. Also. Oh, I <laughs> no, I couldn't do it. I, I have a phobia, like, of rodents. I really do. It's, like, a huge thing. Like, I even well, got my kids to clean up a dead possum in the backyard because I couldn't do it. 
I was like, oh, I'm <laughs> go get the shovel. What do you want? Well, I don't blame you on that one. I'd boss them around to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, Christmas come early. What do you need from me to do this? Because I can't. <laughs> oh my God. That is too funny. So what kind of dogs do you have now? What kind of puppers do you have running around? We have mixes. So um, we have a boxer lab mix um, that we got for the kids as a puppy. Um, about a year after they came, we thought, you know, that would be a fun thing 